So believe it or not, I am uh, an introvert. I love people, and I love being with people, but when my energy is low, I don't recharge by being with people. I would much rather be by myself with my family or with a book, even sometimes over being with my family, actually, uh, to find a way to be recharged and refueled. I, I rarely mind being alone, but lonely is a whole nother thing. Loneliness that's a feeling of sadness or a feeling of isolation, a feeling of being without others to share life in that particular moment. Many of you know very well that you can feel lonely even when you are with a crowd. In 2016, a Harris Poll uh, surveyed a group of folks and and found that 72% of Americans feel lonely at times. And 34% of Americans feel lonely at least once a week. We can feel lonely for many different reasons. But feeling lonely can easily lead us to feeling like we've been forgotten or overlooked, to feeling unseen or unloved. And at least some of us feel this way some of the time. A friend of mine always says to me, Sherry, just feel all the feelings, but keep landing on the truth. Feel all the feelings, but keep landing on the truth. And the truth is that we're not alone in our loneliness and feeling this. Even uh, King David in Psalm 22, just before Psalm 23, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, you may recognize these words as words that even Jesus said as he hung on the cross. We're not alone in feeling lonely. We're not alone in wondering sometimes if we are left to our own devices. Feel the feelings, but keep landing on the truth. And the truth is that we're not alone. These scriptures, I've highlighted some of the, the key phrases. And Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Deuteronomy, be strong and bold. Have no fear or dread of them. The Lord your God who goes with you, he will not fail you or forsake you. The Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his faithful ones. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. The story of God's love for us is that we are not alone. The Gospel of Matthew. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Jesus' very name, Emmanuel, means God is with us. God with us. And at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just because we feel alone doesn't mean that we are alone. God promises over and over again that we are not alone. God, the God of creation, is with us and will not forsake us. God who sends Jesus like us so that we would see and understand and know that God is with us and God who 
sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Jesus, fully human and fully divine, experiences all that we experience. Dies and is raised to new life. But we aren't left alone even in that. God sends the Spirit that we might know that God is always with us. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are not alone. God created us to be in relationship with God and with one another. God sends Jesus. God sends the Holy Spirit. We may be physically alone, and we may often feel lonely, but we are not alone. I wonder tonight where you most need to remember that. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us today. Let it take hold of us and transform us that we might know in the very depth of our being that we are not alone. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Pure Sound, who is our youth choir, uh, they are on the road back. They may actually be back in Austin by this time today. They'll be here tomorrow at all of the services, uh, bringing their homecoming um, message to us. And so I invite you to come back and hear them. Uh, But that gave us in this evening a time to wrap up Psalm 23. And maybe out of all the things we've looked at in Psalm 23, maybe most importantly, as we take this psalm that is so familiar to us, as we carry it with us, maybe the most important thing is that we need to know and remember that we are not alone. I want to invite you uh, to read this psalm with me tonight as a way to claim it for yourself, as a way to hear it and read it and receive it. Join with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Throughout this series, we used one of Bob Lively's books, God's Prescription for Our Pain, as as a a tool, as a resource for us. And uh, I'm going to let his summary 
kind of walk us through this closing time together of Psalm 23. As we walk through this, you will hear the psalm itself unpacked in this way. That first verse, uh, we surrender and thereby discover that this Lord is both sovereign and mysteriously intimate. It's not just that we're not alone, but we're not alone because God is with us. The God of the universe, this magnificent uh, expression of creation and of power and of, of majesty, this God that is way beyond anything that we could comprehend, is the same one who is the very breath that we breathe. The fullness of who God is and the very intimate pieces of who God is. We begin to understand that, that this Lord who is our shepherd, this God who is our shepherd, is sovereign and is mysteriously intimate. We are not alone. We're not alone. We experience the unexpected reduction of our tendency to want things, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We, the tendency to want things and success through intense contact with the shepherd who is the source of all abundance. When the God of the universe... Think about this. When the God of the universe is our shepherd, then truly we have all that we need. Sometimes, especially in our culture, we confuse our needs and our wants. And often it's easy enough to fall into thinking that what, what we want really is what we need but, but when you're in this intimate contact with the shepherd who is the God of the universe, who provides all that you need, you begin to understand truly. The shepherd knows, and the shepherd will provide everything. God is a good shepherd who's going to provide for us. And when we can trust the good shepherd, then we can release that sense of scarcity with which we live. That sense that there might not be enough, and so I'm going to hold on or, or take all that I can get. We, we release that, that anxiety or that worry about provision. And we can let go of needing to compete with other people for power, for position, for possessions. We no longer need all of those things to satisfy who we are. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And our stuff is never a substitute for the shepherd. We are not alone. We are knocked down, and in the wake of humiliation, we learn to trust enough to be led to a quiet place where the long process of restoration begins. I don't know about you, but if, you, if a word jumped out at you there, a, a nice, you know, shepherdy kind of word, it might be a, a trust or a quiet place or restoration, but what you need to hear is that it's a long process. This journey of faith that we're on to, to learn how to trust the shepherd, to learn how to live in the fullness of God's love for us is a process. It would be much easier if there was just a pill that we could take or if I could say to you, you know, everything will be okay if you'll just take Friday off. Don't do any work. Just take Friday off and this will all be good. Your, store, your soul will be restored, right? Or if I could just say to you, 
you just need to go on a retreat. If you'll just go on this weekend retreat, you'll come back and everything will be great. Those things help. Time off and spiritual retreat. But it's a long process. A lot of us spend our whole lives running away from the shepherd, right? Doing exactly the opposite of what the shepherd invites us to do. Those things that we've done don't get undone overnight. As we begin to trust the goodness of the shepherd, we begin to understand even when we are made to lie down, that we are made to lie down by the one who has our best interest at heart, by the one who knows what we need even deeper than what we think we might need. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't. And sometimes we have to lose it all before the restoration can begin. The process of life with the shepherd is giving up being controlled by our ego so that we can be led by God. We can be led by love, knowing that we are not alone. We willingly begin to follow the shepherd's lead on a path toward doing what is right while trying to give all the credit for everything to the guide. As we realize that our ego isn't the best guide for life with the shepherd, we begin to understand that doing the right thing is more important than being right. That doing the right thing is more important to being right. When we insist on being right, then we automatically set ourselves up over and against someone else. Someone else who is our brother or sister. Someone else who is created in the image of God. The same image and likeness in which we are created. When we insist on being right, we automatically create a posture of defense against, over and against one another. When we can trust that we are led by the shepherd, then we can give up the need to be right and choose to do the right thing. And doing the right thing opens up the space for us to have, find, have and find common ground, for us to come to the same table together and share in, in the goodness of what God has provided for us. I think sometimes when we insist on being right, it comes back to that very first verse, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But when we insist on being right, I think it's because we still think that we're in want. And we're still not sure that, that God's going to provide. So if I can figure out how to be right, then I don't have to depend on God. But that kind of undoes the whole premise of God being our shepherd and guiding us. I think we, we've witnessed some of this uh, this week around the, se- around the issue of the separation of the families at the border. Regardless of what you believe about immigration, and, and there across the board are ideas about what we need to do or not do or what that needs to look like. What's happening to the children who have no say in being where they are, that is an issue that goes beyond politics and beyond policies. It goes to the heart of justice and human dignity. And we have seen this week people on 
all places in the spectrum, on all sides of the political conversation, look for common ground. For the sake of the children. For the sake of the children. It is really a glimpse of being able to to see what it looks like when, when we can, even for a moment, give up that need to be right in order to do the right thing. We are not alone. We face every scary message we've uttered to ourselves, and we stare our own death in the face and embrace its harsh, terrifying reality as an inescapable truth. Here we can learn to accept both life and death as wonderful gifts. Life and death, they're part of the journey for all of us. None of us escapes death. And when we can face that in light of who God is and in light of who we are in Christ, then we know that what we fear the most, what we fear the most, the possibilities of of that happening, whether it's being alone when we die, whether it's dying a painful death, whether it's not dying uh, but being alone, when we put that in light of who God is and who we are in Christ, then we can find a deep peace there. Because knowing that we're not alone outweighs, it can outweigh the fear related to what might happen. Because no matter what happens, we know that we're not alone. Dark valleys are a part of everyone's life. Trusting the shepherd doesn't mean that we don't have difficult times. Trusting the shepherd means that especially in the difficult times, we stay close to the shepherd. The shepherd's job seven days a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year is to care for the sheep. God's care for us never stops. God is always watching out for us. God is always caring for us. We are not alone. We sit at a table prepared for us where we encounter every dimension of ourselves from the mature to the frightened. In time, we put our arms around each disparate part of who we are, and we bring those parts to ourselves as an act of unconditional acceptance. When we are in this process of being with the shepherd and allowing ourselves to be the sheep, we get to the point of accepting that we are accepted. Accepting that we are the sheep and that the shepherd loves the sheep. That the shepherd accepts the sheep and all that we are. You know, a lot of us have done things in the past, made choices, uh, made decisions that we can't undo. We can't change the past, uh, but, uh, but we don't have to let the past define this moment right here, right now. There are a lot of things, probably for each of us, that we don't particularly like about ourselves, whether that's in the past or, or current uh, places where we're frustrated with how life is or frustrated with how we are in life, but that doesn't change God's love for us. When we choose to stay stuck in the past, 
a past that we can't change, when we choose to stay focused on the things about ourselves that we don't particularly like, then we become enslaved to them and we give them power over every moment. But with God as our shepherd, when we can accept that we are accepted as we are, then those things lose their power over us. They're still there, but they no longer have the same power over us. We are not alone. When we receive God's anointing of us with oil, following our acceptance of our authentic selves, we recognize the truth that heaven has always accepted us without reservation or condition. Until we arrived at the table, we didn't know this. It's, it's when we come to the table that's prepared for us and the presence of our enemies and often our, our enemy, our worst enemy, is often ourself. It's when we come to, to that table and we face those enemies and we engage with those enemies, realizing that God is at the table with us, then we begin to be able to receive the blessing that God gives to us, the anointing of oil, being seen and being known, being accepted is priceless and empowering. And when we can receive it, we know that we're not alone. But we have to receive it. God offers it. And God never stops offering it. But in order to complete the acceptance of that, we have to receive it. We have to believe that God's love for us is without condition. We're accepted as we are. When we embrace heaven's acceptance of us, then we experience joy. There's something in, in being accepted by God. There's something about uh, accepting who you are Certainly, uh, we allow Christ and, and the Spirit to be at work in us so that we don't stay the way we are. We're constantly seeking to grow and be made more like Christ. But there's something about being uh, accepted where you are, knowing that you're accepted where you are, that, that gives space for great joy. Because the whole future is ahead of you to live in the fullness of God's love for you. The future is ahead of you so that, so that when you're tempted to believe that you're alone, you remember you're not alone. When you're feeling lonely, you reach out to someone else or you look to God in scripture or you offer yourself to God in prayer and you hear God remind you, I will not leave you or forsake you. You're not alone. And there is great joy. Great joy we find in simply being alive. And in being in relationship with one another and knowing that we're not alone. We discover the paradox that instead of moving toward the future, it has followed us along in the forms of goodness and mercy. Last week we talked about goodness and mercy being God's sheepdogs, right, that are always with us, our constant companions following us on the journey, guiding us and leading us so that we never get beyond the bounds of God's love for us. We, most of us, at different points, wander off in one way or another, but, but goodness and mercy are always trying to herd us back into that space, right, to know God's 
love for us. Sometimes we're so busy pursuing and running after what we think we need and what we think will satisfy us that we simply miss that goodness and mercy are constantly with us. I wonder if on your most difficult days, I wonder if you stopped long enough in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, if you would be able to be still enough to catch goodness and mercy even in your peripheral vision. To know that you're not alone. And not only are you not alone, but God's goodness and God's mercy are your companions. And we come to understand that everything belongs to God, our history and our destiny, and that fear no longer has to control us. With our acceptance of this recognition, we experience our very first taste of genuine freedom. This long process of being restored, this long process of following the shepherd, of trusting in the goodness and the mercy of the shepherd, allows us to feel the freedom, to not be bound any longer by fear. Now I'm going to tell you, that doesn't mean that you're never afraid again. Fear has this insidious way of creeping back in when you least expect it. But it means you go back to this promise that we are not alone. And you remember that joy of being seen and being known. You remember that joy of being set free from all of those things that caused you such great fear and angst. We're not alone because God is with us. God who loves us, not because of anything we've done or anything we haven't done, not because of anything we can do, but because it's who God is. The good shepherd loves us and sent Jesus to be our good shepherd, to lay down his life for us, to show us the way to life and freedom and to be the way to life and freedom. The shepherd who, in the depths of his love for us, reminds us that no matter where we are, no matter how lonely we may feel, no matter how easy or difficult the journey, we are not alone. As we conclude this series, I remind you of this image of the shepherd holding the sheep, of being, the sheep being embraced and held tenderly but firmly by the shepherd And this image of Jesus taking the hand of the little girl and and leading her with joy. You can see the joy and you can feel the peace of knowing that we are not alone. Let the people say amen.